Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, 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 and welcome to another edition of the Niner Noise Podcast, part of the Fan Sided Podcast Network. My name is Robert Morrison. I'm a contributor at NinerNoise.com, and here with me to discuss all of the craziness of the offseason is fellow contributor Chris Wilson. Chris, how are we doing tonight, sir? Pretty good. We have made it through the key free agency period, and it's pretty difficult to complain. Outside of a very tiny, very tiny bit of craziness that I'm sure we'll discuss momentarily. But we managed to sign most of our guys, and we still keep adding depth to the roster just in the last couple of days. So overall, I am doing quite well. Yeah, I'd say that this has been a, a surprising output from the 49ers thus far. All the conversation about how... You know, we had 38 free agents and no money to sign any of them. And yet, somehow... <laughs> We've managed to bring back most of the key players. Um, in fact, I would say with the exception of less than a handful of people at this point, I mean, there's obviously some, you know, deep on the roster guys who probably weren't going to make the team anyway, who could still be brought back for a training camp and all that kind of stuff. But as far as like, you know, starting caliber players or players who contributed last year, they've managed to bring back most of the team. Um, that has been here over the last couple of seasons. So I, I think it's impressive work done by uh, John Lynch in the front office. And, you know, of course, Parag Marate doing his thing uh, with the salary cap under the circumstances. It's been just awesome to watch. Yeah, just push all the money out to like 2025. Worry about it then. I mean, if Belichick's doing it, and the Saints have been doing it for who knows how long. Why can't we do it? Yeah, whatever. Who cares at this point? It's all fake money at this point. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it definitely seems like it's monopoly money from a salary cap perspective. But it is real money. It's just Jed's money. So I agree. Who cares? (laughs) This is true. So we've talked some last time about the first kind of initial wave of players that were brought back. Trent Williams returning to the team. I don't know know why it took so long um, for them to actually like 
officially make the signing happen. Maybe there was a lot of paperwork because there was too many zeros on the contract or something. I don't know. Attention, all employees at 4949. All employees with advanced mathematics or accounting degrees, please report to John's office immediately. We need somebody to count all of these zeros. He was officially announced as part of the team. It caused inflation. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it's like the GDP of a small country. And wait, hold on. Is that 168? No. Um, so yeah, that officially happened. That's good news. Uh, team also re-signed Jordan Willis, uh, Jaquaski Tart, and Quan Williams. Those are all one-year deals. Uh, but the team is not only bringing back players that they that have been on the team previously, but they've also managed to to go out into the world and, and sign some guys. No, like major big name players, but they've they brought in a few uh, outsiders. They did go out and uh, grab a couple more players. Uh, defensive tackle uh, Zach Kerr, who was uh, formerly with the Carolina Panthers and a couple of other teams, uh, a veteran defensive tackle who. Um, I gotta say, uh, moves pretty quickly for a guy of his size. Um, I watched a little bit of of him this afternoon, and uh, for a man who is uh, like 335 pounds and six three, uh, moves fairly quickly. And as you would expect, takes many people to block him. <laughs> Move him to edge, you know, big guy. So nice depth piece for DJ Jones, who, as we mentioned, is coming back as well. And uh, Tavon Wilson, who is a uh, safety, who is another veteran guy who's had experience at, at both the free and strong safety uh, positions and uh, important special teams player for some New England teams in the early part of the 2010s and, and that sort of thing. And has made a good name for himself there. So a lot of good things happening in that regard. We do have a couple of, of other things that we do want to note as far as like outgoings and, and all that kind of stuff. We have to pour one out for a homie in just a moment. Can you hear that? I think that's my phone. Better not be another silver alert. John Benton's driving down 95, left hand lane, going 25 miles an hour. Why don't they just microchip that guy? Well, have fun with that, Sala. Let me see what this is. That'd be really important. Uh, Morrison, this is serious. You're going to want to hear this. I'm just glad this happened during the pod so we can get the word out to our listeners. And if I were you, I would sit down right now. All right, here we go. Cue the dramatic music. Oh, don't worry. It's not World War Three or zombies. Let me find something that's a little less dramatic. I think it's a little more appropriate. Bring in the mystery, a little mysterious. We interrupt the Nine and Royce podcast with an important PSA, including the breaking news you've all been waiting for. This pubic service announcement is brought to you by, why yes, that's correct, the one and only, Manscaped.com. History has been made, and we stand, or probably sit, here together to bask in the glory of the official release of the lawnmower 4.0 manscape.com's elite 
team of bushwhacking engineers has managed to do what lesser men have only dreamt of achieving. They have taken perfection, and they made it perfecter. But Chris, you ask, you can't shut up about Manscaped.com's gift to humanity, the Lawnmower 3.0. This product wasn't just a game changer, it was a life changer. I simply don't accept we live in a world where it can get any better than this. Well, somewhat rude but well-intentioned listener, that technically wasn't really a question. You just used the wrong word inflection. And this is in jeopardy, RIP Alex. But indeed, the holy grail of male grooming has become both holier and grailier. But how, you ask? Well, if you just shut up, I tell you. But good job with the question this time. I'm proud of you, really. I felt a little connection there. Just remember, five-star review, tell your 49er fan friends, yada, yada, you know the drill. So, we're already starting off with the best groomer in the biz with the trademark skin-safe technology, 7K motor, 90-minute rechargeable battery for wireless use, waterproof design, adjustable guard, you know, the whole manscaped experience. Well, faith for the listener, you ready to find out how the next-gen 4.0 has its own special key? To the elevator that goes straight to the male grooming penthouse. Hey, get your head out of your phone. That Wikipedia entry for punctuation will be there when I'm done. Done spreading the word. The good word, manscaped. What's that now? Yeah, it's pretty perceptive of you. When I get passionate about the best, that country accent sometimes comes out in me. No, no. Uh, Washington, D.C. Yeah, born and raised. Well, boys, it's time to get a little personal. As if we haven't gotten personal enough. But that's all right, because we are here in a tree built on trust. One might be inclined to call it a trust tree. And for this tree to flourish, its roots must be filled with our brutal honesty. How many of you guys have overheard your wives, girlfriends, sugar babies, sugar mamas, grandmas, whatever? Don't worry, there is no room for judgment in the trust tree. We have our own set of rules here, sort of like Fight Club, but different. How many of you have heard them whispering and then gushing to their friends about that younger guy who moved in down the street last year? You know, nice car, and wears nothing but fancy, expensive, tailor-made suits. Let's call him Todd, because his name is probably Todd. Yeah, the guy who runs every day. Really doesn't know where to shop for a t-shirt. By the way, there's no need for you guys to raise your hands. That's not the way that audio works. But yep, that's Todd. Constantly parking in the wrong driveway during the day. Always talking about electromagnetic induction. Well, you want to be just a little bit more like Todd? Because I can guarantee he's a manscaper. Go ahead and ask any female in my town. You won't find one that won't attest to that. How do you feel about adding a little bit of electromagnetic induction into your life. Yeah, you have absolutely no idea what that is, do you? But you don't need to. All you need to remember is two words. Wireless charging. And they even used 19th century technology to do it, just to show off. Boom. Todd. How about a travel lock to prevent you from embarrassing TSA incidents? Boom. Lawnmower 3.0's adjustable guard was such a big hit, I thought we might get hooked up with a third guard size. I guess the joke's on me, because this is manscaped.com, baby. 
Now you get four guard sizes. Boom. You know what else is popular? The brighter than the sun LED spotlight. But instead of getting blinded by the light, yeah, I know there's a wrapped up like a joke in there. No, I'm not touching it. There's a switch to turn it on and off. How about that? The forefront of technology. Boom. Kind sir, would you be interested in some replaceable ceramic blades? Boom. A tri-level power indicator? Boom. Sleek new design? Boom. And a bunch more, but I'm just sick of saying boom. But to top it off, you can grab one, not now, but right now, at manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping when you use the code FANSIDED20 at checkout. COVID ain't lasting forever. Eventually, we're going to have to interact with people in person. And if you're anyone like Robert, you know where that's going to lead to. Remember, that's manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping with code FANSIDED20. I got one more left in me. Boom. All right, we are back. And as we mentioned, there are other bits of news that are happening out in 49ers land. Chris, and, and I'm interested to see your thoughts about this. So we, we talked, uh, I think, last time about uh, the fact that the report was that the Niners had restructured D Ford's contract. I think the number was two years, 24 million was, was uh, what initially came out. Well, the structure of that came out. It, it's very interesting. Uh, they added a void year to the end of those two years. I don't quite understand. Like it's probably one of the most convoluted and complicated contracts I've ever seen. But essentially, what it all amounts to is, um, and the most important thing is that he was owed twenty million dollars against the cap this year, and it, they got that number down to nine million against the cap this year. Somehow, I don't un- quite understand that, saving themselves eleven million uh, against the cap for the twenty twenty one season. Which, of course, with the fact that the the cap went down, that is very helpful. I think the the number that they're up to is somewhere in that like nineteen twenty million range. Uh, and we talked previously about how you know they're going to need somewhere in the neighborhood of like ten to sign their draft picks, and then you want to have a little hanging out in case you need to bring uh, players on throughout the season, and that puts them in a pretty good place uh, to make some moves um, and to just kind of have some some flexibility in that regard. So I think that's cool. And on top of that, it gives them the the opportunity to get out of the the contract a lot sooner than the than the original contract. I think he had a couple more years of pretty hefty cap numbers uh, coming up so they can essentially get out of it after this year. There's going to be some dead money, of course, but they can, they can get out of it after the season. And if he somehow manages to, to recover from these injuries that he's had and he contributes at all, it will be sort of like found money at this particular point. So any thoughts on any of those things that we've talked about so far, Chris, you've been very quiet thus far. (laughs) Well, yes, I do have some contributions to provide perhaps some value to add. I can certainly tell that there's some concern in your voice. It's totally warranted. You know who else has some insight into this? All the parents out there, blessed with a wonderful gift of children. You remember them. They're the reason why you went to the store and left them at home. So you could drive around in your neighborhood and listen to this fine podcast. And I commend you for that. Not the bad parenting part, just the listening to the podcast part. I mean, odds are they'll be fine. They have, like, soft heads or something. But as you well know, they're always causing mayhem, doing something crazy, fighting with each other, banging on stuff, breaking stuff. And more often than not, it's my laptop. And yes, I am going somewhere with this, so just enjoy the ride. So, as soon as they first become mobile, 
nonstop, you'd need to be paying attention to them because they're usually out there somewhere trying to accidentally kill themselves, throw themselves down the stairs or like, oh, wow, this bleach is delicious. So you need to be like on your game 24-7. And once they get a little bit older, they transition out of that phase where they test you to make sure you can keep them alive while they do dangerous things. And they start to turn into little people, except they're just unnecessarily loud all the time. Whining, crying, to roughhousing, to who even knows what they're doing. Probably playing chess, but just like the screaming version of it. So what a wonderful time to have children in a pandemic when you can't leave your house. So they don't get to go to school and have other people yell at them to be quiet. And they sell these crazy child labor laws in the United States so you can't make them work. Someone's got to work. And if you're that someone... You're on a lot of Zoom calls. And if there's one thing we've learned during this pandemic, actually, I don't even want to open that box. But one of the things that we learned, it's that there's a direct correlation between the importance of your Zoom call and the level of neediness and volume of your kid. It's just established science. I mean, it even works on my dog. But there's one thing that's worse than your kid having a tantrum or apparent total breakdown, maybe running past your screen half naked when you're in the middle of doing extremely important adult things like browsing the web or playing Candy Crush while you're in the middle of your weekly Skype call. I was about to say totally naked, but that could be legally problematic. If you're a parent, that's just like an average Tuesday. And you are well aware when you're in really big trouble. And that's when they do the exact opposite, when they are totally silent and you can't hear a thing because they are up to no good and you have no idea what they're capable of. So if you've ever heard this podcast before, and if you haven't, then welcome. And don't be scared off by me talking about kid stuff. That's not normal. I usually talk about football, but not necessarily on topic. Just whatever topic related to Fortnite football I want to talk about. So in this analogy, I'm obviously the up to no good kid, potentially, because I am that on this podcast. So Robert, you being concerned, absolutely legitimate, but not to worry, because I am double negatively not up to no good at the moment. So you can rest assured that whatever turmoil I bring to this podcast today will be purely spontaneous. In fact, I've just been sitting here enjoying your sultry voice. It seems a bit extra sultry today for some reason. And what I really want to do is talk some 49er football, which I think I'm going to begin right now, because I think that if I don't, we may drop out of Japan's Apple Podcast Top 10 in both American football and American football all time. And I don't know the difference between the two, but I'm not going to risk it. It's been a lot of fun communicating with our international faithful and their many affinity groups located all around the world. And it's for much the same reason as there's so many Niners fans all over the United States that have never lived in the Bay Area. 
because that was the only game that was on TV, whoever the Niners were playing. And for some of our older, perhaps more established 49ers podcast hosts, guests, friends, that is what the kids today call a flex. So come at us, bros. And uh, bros there is gender inclusive. Sexism is not permitted on the Not Noise podcast, particularly during times of absurd trash talking. But along with our long-standing relationship with the 49ers empire of the United States, many of which dating multiple years or even decades prior to the kickoff of this pod, we've also begun to form a considerable bond with our international Niner brethren. And a little bit of carpal tunnel trying to scroll down and search for you in some of these Apple podcast charts. And if you guys got beef, just know that Robert and I are always down for a charity in the octagon, Ron Burgundy, Anchorman-style news fight. So hit me up. Okay, Robert, that's enough. I think we need to get back on the topic of 49ers football. It's for the listeners. It's for the people. No more talk about children on this pod. Unless our special guest wants to. Oh yeah, by the way, he's on our team in the Octagon. Alright, so shockingly, I actually remember what your question was. The latest D Ford contract shenanigans. His name's actually D, right? It's not like DeForest or something like that. I think it's just D. I want to call him something more fun than that. Well, I better come up with some fun nickname because it seems like this guy's going to be around for a long time. Not playing, but on the roster, getting paid. It's pretty safe to say that we got into a bad contract with him. And one of the indicators of that is he's played less than a season's worth of games for us. And we've already restructured his contract twice. So it's just more that fiscal irresponsibility that is basically a necessity in the NFL today. And we're just kicking the can down the road. And for the opportunity to do that, we have to pay him more. And we have to pay him now. Even at the time, we knew it was a very risky move, and it has not worked out the way that the 49ers front office hoped that it would work out. If you're going to take a risk, it might as well be on a player at a very important position, and not like Malcolm Smith. So, Actually, now that I think about it, we restructured him three times because he was franchise tag, and then we signed that monster contract. So in Restructure 3.0, we actually pre-voided his final year's contract. Like He has no contract. We didn't even do the Drew Brees veteran minimum. That's obviously not going to happen. Yeah, they put a void year in year three. Yeah, that's all the rage these days. Um, which basically means they'll owe him $4.5 million or something like that in 2023, and he'll be out of contract. So that's that's not great. but And that's for the money that we just physically paid him. <laughs> correct, correct. Yeah, the players don't mind this at all. They paid right up front. The important thing is, yeah, he gets his money now, and they dealt with that pesky injury clause that was in his contract. Like he had that guarantee for injury that was going to be $11 million on April 1st because he was not passing a physical. Like I think that was pretty much the understanding. Like there was no way he was passing a physical on April 1st. And so they were going to owe him $11 million anyway. So they just basically gave him that money and then put the void year to allow that $11 million to, to, to be pushed off into the future so they can pay for it at four and a half million dollar increments over the next three years as opposed to all at once. 
Yeah, the problem is just we've done it three times. So we just paid him a whole ton of money. A fairly low guaranteed number from the start, but I think by the end of this year, we'll pay him twice as much as he was guaranteed in the first place, and he barely even played. Plus, I think his injury guarantee moves to next year. So we're still on the hook for money then, too, just not as much. But at this point, it's pretty much a necessity because yeah. mm-hmm. we got ourselves into this mess. And in the end, we'll be okay. We just need to hope there isn't COVID version two this season. We need fans in the stands. <laughs> yeah. Um, as long as the salary cap goes up in the next two years, which it's it's certainly expected to, all things considered, um, I think we'll be okay. Yeah, with the NFL's new media deal, yep, yep. they're definitely expecting to bring in a fair amount of money. I think so. Yeah. Free agency on the whole. I think we did a pretty good job of keeping the guys that we needed to keep and mm-hmm. the guys that we either didn't need or we would like but got better deals elsewhere. We just let them go. And in a lot of ways, the guys are somewhat talented but far too expensive, either in real life, like Solomon Thomas or even Kendrick Bourne, or some guys who just don't know what their worth is, like Sherman, who was great for the team in 2019, mostly because no one threw at him for some reason. I guess because the other side of the field was just so open. And for his leadership, of course. But last year was sort of exposed as a net negative. Just hasn't figured it out yet. Losing this type of player is actually benefit the team in the long run because none of those guys are really high ceiling guys. They were certainly on the field a lot, aside from Thomas last year. It's going to force the 49ers to either address those positions like they have somewhat in free agency, but otherwise via the draft, where you'd hope to find players who would be immediate or at least long-term upgrades or play players that they have in the roster that have been sitting and could use some playing time. For example, perhaps Richie James, who obviously has more upside than Bourne. It took him one game to prove that. And I like Bourne well enough, but he's just never going to be a featured wide receiver. And it's very unlikely that James will be either. But he is one for one when you put him in that role. Generally, good things happen when he's on the field and you put the ball in his hands. And there have been a lot of times that Bourne has been the best receiver on the field, unfortunately. Tells you a lot. That's pretty difficult to do. And he's never had a 100-yard game in his career. He's played four seasons, and he's never had half the receiving yardage that James did in the only game he's ever been featured. Now, is James the solution to all the world's problems? I think we can safely say probably. Well, obviously not. I just want to see him on the field more. With Shani calling the shots, I mean, who knows? He might not even make the team. But with Bourne gone... At least we know that we will be adding some wide receivers to the Niners roster. And it should be difficult for whomever it is to be an upgrade in the long run. And I'm sure he's not going to be $5 million a year or as good of a dancer. So are you mentally prepared to pour one out for your boy, CJ? Uh, man, man, man. Uh, CJ, CJ Beathard. Um, so CJ Beathard is uh, leaving us as well. Um you mentioned Solomon Thomas. He's going to the uh, to Las Vegas to to play with John Gruden. I'm sure that'll be fine. Um, <laughs> or at least he's just going to Las Vegas. Yeah, yeah, he's going to Las Vegas. He he signed actually a pretty good contract, like five million dollars. Yeah, good. I mean, good for him. Yeah, like, great guy. I hope that that works out. Um, 
yeah, I hope that works out for him. But but seriously, took the right class. That's crazy. Um, Did he go to school with Gruden? Too? <laughs> That I'm aware of. I just, uh, but yeah, CJ Beathard uh, going to Jacksonville to uh, let it up, baby. Hang out with, hang out with uh, Urban Meyer, and I don't know what. It's a strange, an interesting move. Yeah, because CJ's mustache game is not so hot. What, was it a one year deal or a two year deal? I'm not really. I don't. I don't remember. Um, I think it was a two year deal. Technically two, but they have an out after this year. Just the fact that he's leaving is enough. For right. Well, that was. I mean, that was not surprising. But roll down my face. Shanahan finally let him go. It was. There's insanity, and then there's insanity. Based the the truth, he did what we didn't believe that he could do, Chris. And we yeah, he just waited him. two years too long, yeah. and we got absolutely nothing for him, and we almost missed out on Kittle. I don't think this is gold star material. The, the weird part about the decision for for Beathard, of course, is that the the Jaguars hold hold the first overall pick in the draft, and there's pretty much you know absolutely zero. Uh, uncertainty about which direction that they're going, despite the fact that Urban Meyer, when he took the job, was like, well, you know, we're going to look at all the quarterbacks. I'm like, no, you're not. You're you're not. Like, you you know who you're drafting. Like, when you walked into that interview, they were like, just so we're clear, we're taking Trevor Lawrence with the first overall pick and you don't get to tell us otherwise. And you were like, cool. And that was pretty much how that went. <laughs> um, but they also have uh, the uh, just, you know, mustachioed man, uh, Gardner, Minshew still there, so that's an interesting quarterback room uh, with uh, Sean <laughs> Sean Penn at fast times at Ridgemont <laughs> High will be the starting quarterback, um, <laughs> CJ Beathard, and then um, Gardner Minshew. Those are some characters right there, and then Urban Meyer running the show. Um, <laughs> like, so yeah, so that's that's interesting. <laughs> um, but that is by far the ugliest quarterback room in the NFL. What a what a group that is. Um, of course, there is some. There are some rumors that Minshew might be on his way out. Um, I'd be shocked if he was still there. Lawrence will start week one, and they're stuck with CJ for the first year. Uh, I assume that's why they brought him in. So they could deal Mustachio. He has some value. Something like a third or fourth rounder. Then they can backfill him with the fourth ugliest quarterback in the NFL. I don't have to think on who that would be. Meanwhile, there's one player of import who I know holds a special place in your heart that we lost over the offseason. One Kerry Hyder to the Seahawks. How do you feel about that one? I mean, good for Kerry Hyder. Again, he got a, a nice a nice payday for him, for sure. Um, but as I was telling you before, the years that he's had his most success in the NFL have uh, been mostly connected uh, with Chris Kosarek, who is the 49ers defensive line coach. Um, and the discrepancy between the success that he's had as a member of Kosarek's defensive line in the seasons that he has not been on Kosarek's defensive line is, is pretty um, incredible. I think something like two seasons with Kosarek, he's been like 95 pressures over those two seasons and two seasons without Kosarek, he's had like 35 or something like that. Um, two seasons with Kosarek, 16 and a half sacks, two seasons without like two or three. So I don't know. We'll see. It'll be it'll be interesting to see what the Seahawks get out of him, um, and especially you know not that he's not capable of doing it, but I think we can speak from from experience to say that if Kerry Hyder is your go to pass rusher, it might not be the defensive boon that you think it will be. We'll just we'll just say that. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Like I said before, I was happy when we signed him because I thought he'd be a good rotational guy and. He will still be a good rotational guy, but partially he was our primary pass rusher. 
He looks more like a defensive tackle than a defensive end. Still, it'll be weird to see him in a Seahawks uniform. Whereas a guy like Witherspoon, I don't mind seeing him in a Seahawks uniform at all. Chris, I, I think my absolute favorite thing that has happened so far this this offseason. So leading up to the offseason, once the season was over, and once Robert Sala got his job head coach of the New York Jets, the conversation was basically like 24-7 about, you know, like over under how many 49ers free agents is Robert Sala going to bring to the Jets with him? Like, because he was talking about, because, you know, the 49ers didn't have any money and the Jets had all the money and the Jets are bad and they needed help. And the 49ers had a lot of good players that were going to be free agents. Well, so far the number is one. It's exactly one former 49er who has signed with the New York Jets. And Chris, I feel like if I gave you 10 guesses, I mean, I think you already know, but if I gave yeah. you 10 guesses, I don't know that you would have picked the first one to be to be selected to join Robert Sala's New York Jets. No, I would not. No. I figured he would retire by now. I think um, I saw... I think he did, actually. Yeah, I think I saw somebody on Twitter who who's like, if you had uh, Tevin Coleman to the Jets as the first former 49er to the Jets on your bingo card, you win. Um, and that is, in fact, that's it. Uh, there you go. Tevin Coleman, who rushed for all of like 50-something yards last season. $2 million to go uh, play for the Jets next year. You want to call it play? He didn't try to go get Trent Williams. He didn't bring in any of his defensive players, which is all the more shocking. Like he could have had Jaquaski Tart. He could have had Kawan Williams. He could have had, well, he, he thinks that he's the reason why the defense was good when it was good. I I guess we're about to find out. Um, cause he, he had many opportunities. I mean, he still has one, um, Richard Sherman still out there, uh, floating around as a free agent. Begging for anybody to sign him. <laughs> I guess the Raiders weren't tampering with him after all. Um, Tamper away. Go for it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, now it's not tampering. It's you can talk to them if they want. But yeah, but even before, have at it. It's just very strange to me <laughs> that those he had all these options, all these players he could signed that were thirty-eight free agents, many of them on the defensive side of the ball. Our entire defensive backfield from from the last several years was out there for the taking, and he got none of them. Because he he's Tevin the one Coleman. who made this defense. It has nothing to do with the players. <laughs> All about the solid system so. of not covering number one wideouts. Maybe. We're about to find out. Um, so he has Mike LaFleur out there, right? Yeah. He took Shaney's boy. Matt LaFleur is the, the coach of the uh, the Packers. Yeah, Sean McVay still um, him. Mike's a super young one who's like an intern five years yeah, ago. Yeah, so LaFleur, um, good luck to you with with, uh, with your boy Tevin Coleman. That's all I got to say. Um, so He doesn't have to run up the middle all the time, though. So. <laughs> Maybe we'll do okay. <laughs> we'll find out. In fairness, LaFleur was the passing game coordinator, so maybe he'll do something different with him, but I don't know. I wrote this down in our notes, and then later after I wrote this down, um, I heard was listening to Matt Mayoko and Laura Britt on their, their podcast, and they Mayoko used this very same phrase, and now I feel like I'm stealing from him, and there's no way for me to prove that I wrote this down before I heard him say it, but I, I did, and you're just going to have to trust me. Everybody believes you um, over Matt. Come on. <laughs> There's this very, they got the band back together feel. But what happened during this this offseason window, right? Um, because if you look at it, by and large, this is a lot of the same players, for the most part, that were on that team that almost won a Super Bowl just barely over a year ago. Um, and I think uh, the, the front office seems to think that, and, and I think rightly, that 
if they had not had so many injuries last year, they would have been in the mix last year with the same group. And so it stands to reason that bringing back many of the players and then building upon them, upon that group that was good enough to get there two years ago is probably two seasons ago, I should say, is probably good enough to get there again. So Chris, what do you think about that? I definitely agree. They had enough talent on the roster last year if they stayed healthy to make a serious run. You look at the team from two years ago, outside of Buckner, talent was pretty similar overall. Maybe the loss of Buckner gets evened out a little bit by adding this version of Red, a version that's like really good, and the development of some of the younger players, like Warner, who turned into an all-pro. But when you lose Garoppolo, and then Bosa, and then later in the year, Kittle, you're just not really like you can do at that point. That alone, along with the Niners' backup quarterback play, is more than enough to kill your season. And of course, we know that those are not the only three players who are injured. The 2029ers were the second most injured team in the last 20 years of the NFL. And up until the Bills game, they actually had a fairly decent shot at making the playoffs, which is pretty absurd, actually. So this is a roster with a level of talent where the backups can compete against other starting teams. And when healthy, this team can beat anybody in the NFL. You could take either the 2019 Niners or a healthy version of the 2020 Niners. You put them in the Super Bowl this year, they blow up both those teams. And like you said, at least for now, the band's all back for 2021. But it looks like that's about to change. And the Niners band appears to have decided that they want to change their conductor. And we're about to find out who that conductor is going to be. The biggest news, I I don't know, in a while, this is the biggest thing that I can remember, uh, the biggest sort of trade, big move that I can remember the 49ers making maybe in the entire tenure of John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan thus far. Oh, no question. The only one that is even in the neighborhood is when they acquired Garoppolo on day of the trade deadline. Um, Back during the at the end of their first season, um, so uh, the move is this: Dolphins trading uh, number three overall pick to the 49ers for the number twelve pick, uh, first round picks in twenty twenty two and twenty twenty three, and a twenty twenty two third round pick. But really, they're they're getting an earlier first round pick this year, but they maintain their second and third round picks this year. Um, next year, they'll be without a first and a third round pick. They'll end up having a comp pick in that position anyway. Um, and then they'll lose their first round pick in 2023 as well. So, wow. Um, <laughs> pretty impressive uh, move here by John Lynch. Um, this is this is quite a move. It puts them in a position to basically take what's left of the quarterback's options. Super interesting because um, there are a lot of ways to analyze this. Um, because if in fact, uh, the, the plan here is to take a quarterback and I just don't see what other direction they could be going and they'd have to be comfortable with multiple quarterbacks at this particular point, obviously, uh, because they don't know what the jets are going to do. Um, so they must be comfortable with, with multiple guys at this position, be it Wilson, be it fields, be it Trey Lance, be it even Jack it. Jones at this point. Um, of course you, you figure Trevor Lawrence is gone. Um, but one of those is going to be around um, for sure. 
I mean, I think this is a pretty exciting move. Um, it's it's cool to see them get aggressive about it. It's see, cool to see them uh, jump up and make the move. Chris, you may have different feelings about it. Uh, so why don't you tell us how you feel? How are you feeling right now? I mean, granted, it's it's a lot to give up, but what do you think? What do you think I think? Obviously, I hate it. And I'm sure that most of the fan base disagrees with me for two different reasons. And in some cases, probably both. Number one, probably half the fan base just hates Garoppolo and wants anybody in there but him. Even Stafford. They don't care. As long as it's not Garoppolo, they're going to be ecstatic until we start losing. And number two, there's a large contingent of fans that just want the Niners to do something. Just do anything. Doesn't matter how much it costs. It doesn't matter how many first rounders over however many years. Just do something and make sure it's really big. Well, the Niners did something and they did something really big and really expensive. And I'm not really in the business of doing something for the sake of doing something. And just the fact that you're excited about it, I don't put you in that second camp, mostly because you trust the Niners to do the right thing more than I do. And of course, I like exciting things too, but it can't just be exciting. It also needs to be smart. And there's only one possible scenario in which this was a smart move. And in that scenario, all of these things would have to be true. A, they had to make the move early when they did because there was another offer on the table that the Dolphins were going to take if the Niners didn't make an immediate move. B, the player that they covet needs to be widely coveted by other teams, particularly the team that theoretically they were bidding against. C, the 49ers need to know who the Jets are going to take at number two. And D, Lynch and Shanahan need to be so certain that this one player, the third quarterback selected in this draft, is going to be a franchise quarterback that they're willing to bet their careers in San Francisco on it. Now, what are the odds of all those four things being true? More than zero? I don't even know, because D alone is relatively impossible. Certainly never been done before. This is a league where players who are deemed slam dunk, no question, number one overall pick, teams are tanking for player X the year before, can't miss franchise quarterbacks, miss as much as they hit. So it's not surprising that a quarterback that multiple teams passed on is far less likely to become a franchise quarterback. One would assume that Lynch and Shanahan would know or would be told that the odds are stacked against them. And that's not to say that drafting the third quarterback in a draft is wrong in any way, but trading away your draft future for the opportunity to pick that quarterback is a horrible proposition. To the fact that a team would never offer another team the deal that the 49ers accepted. You would never insult another GM's intelligence like that. That trade needed to be initiated by the 49ers. So for me, this trade is two thumbs down. 
because it was not a smart trade because all four of those things are not true. Actually, the way I worded it, it's possible for D to be true, but only in John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan's heads, not in reality. And the vast distance between reality and what goes on in their heads is the primary reason why they're so bad at drafting. Oh, and one thing I wanted to add is that Linton Shanahan are only focusing on one player. They say that all five players are in the mix, but they're lying. There's only one player that they want. No team is going to initiate a trade where they end up giving away the farm way ahead of the draft to move up nine spots without knowing who they want to choose with that selection. If that were the case, this would be the worst draft trade in the history of the 49ers franchise, and nothing else would even be in the conversation. Lynch and Shanahan are intelligent individuals. They have their faults, obviously. There'd be stubbornness or arrogance or ignorance or their lack of experience at their current positions. All these factors hurt the team. But all of these were knowns when the 49ers hired them in the first place. And these character flaws are the driving force, at least in part, in every one of their bad decisions. Obviously, we hope that they would have progressed significantly by now, but the process has been slow because they do not recognize most of their mistakes or when they're doing something that is harming the team. But they're not dumb. Well, unless they take Big Mac, a.k.a. BAC. If they do that, then yeah, they are dumb and should be fired immediately. You think attendance was bad last year when they weren't even playing in their own stadium? Just see what happens if they draft Mac Jones. But that is not going to happen because Shanahan and Lynch are too smart to do something like that. I desperately hope. But 90, 95% of the media can keep on claiming that that's what the 49ers are going to do, but that is not what they're going to do. We can say that with a bit guarded confidence. Because we know that the 49ers front office is too smart for that. Like I said, these guys aren't dumb. They just don't know what they don't know. I think that's a perfect way to describe it. And I'm giving myself a pat on the back as we speak. They do have a plan. It might not be a good plan because there's no way for them to be successful unless they're extremely lucky. But on the bright side... Success is still possible. Certainly going to lose some value in the process. But that's basically par for the course for these two over the last four to five years. What's done is done. We don't get do-overs. At this point in the process, I've explained my position. And I don't see any reason to complain about it anymore. Because we don't know who the 49ers are going to draft. And we won't know if that player is good for probably some time. And if they have luck on their side and they're able to draft a franchise quarterback, then no one's really going to care about how it gave up way too much to get there. And we're not talking horrible odds. Maybe 40% chance that the 49ers are able to draft a reliable starting quarterback. But we all know that Shanahan and Lynch just don't think that way. And that's probably why they're so bad at drafting. 
And let's ignore the fact that the team already has a Super Bowl quarterback on the roster. But if Lynch and Shanahan wanted to make sure that they get another one or two, they would be much more likely to do so if they just drafted a quarterback in each of the next three drafts, as opposed to throwing away three picks for one guy. There are no guarantees. There are no slam dunks when you're drafting quarterbacks. Luck does play a factor, and that goes for the entire draft. Draft smart and draft often. That is the simplest path to success, and that's the reason why we've seen very little success over the last four years. The more luck involved, the more chances you need to get lucky. It's really like, you can't win if you don't play. And we won't be playing as much as you should be playing in what we expect to be much of the 49ers Super Bowl window. So in the end, they gave up the farm, but they got their guy. Now they better get lucky. And regardless of what they do, even if they throw Jimmy in the uh, recycling bin and get absolutely nothing for him and start whoever they draft on day one, and he's horrible. Still going to be my guy. Still be rooting for him. Because that's what we do. Are future drafts going to hurt? Absolutely. But just remember that it's not on you. You didn't put your job on the line. You didn't get us into this mess. You might actually appreciate the mess that the 49ers are in. The only thing we have on the line is our happiness. Like, What does that matter? It's up to Lynch and Shanahan to ensure that we're not faced with a lot of disappointing Sundays. And we've had them in the past and probably have them in the future. Just hope that we won't be having any anytime soon. As long as they don't draft Mac Jones, we can handle it. Um, cool. Well, Chris, um, with all that in mind, we do have uh, on this wonderful edition of the Niner Noise podcast a, a special guest with us. Um, and so we do, we do. Um, and so we're going to go ahead and transition. That's who I've been talking to. Into our interview with Randy Cross. Um, with us on the line is uh, former 49ers offensive lineman, three time Pro Bowler, three time Super Bowl champion, Randy Cross. Randy, uh, again, thanks for, for joining us tonight on the uh, Niner Noise podcast. Uh, we appreciate you joining us. No, no problem at all. My pleasure. Absolutely. So um, we're just going to, you know, ask you a few questions about, uh, you know, maybe a few old uh, how things were in the old days kind of thing and your perspective on the current state of the 49ers. So let's start there. What are what are you up to these days and what is your current connection to the 49ers at this current moment? Well, um, I've been working in the TV business. Uh, football-wise since I retired in January of 89. So it's been a few years moving in on, (laughs) you know, some 30-odd years of just doing TV, which is pretty cool. But um, been doing that, and I'm a a fan from a distance. Let's put it that way, Uh, as far as the Niners. It's the best thing about – I did – NFL for CBS and NBC for 20 years. And since I've been on the college side here in the last 10, 12 years, I've been able to kind of be a fan instead of, you know, having to just cover, cover teams all the time. So, uh, it's been, it's been fun and and they have been off and on fun to watch. (laughs) Um, you know, they had the, 
they had that first Super Bowl loss, and then that last Super Bowl loss a couple of years ago. But uh, this last year was kind of hard to watch, but only from the standpoint <laughs> of, you know, it wasn't wasn't didn't take a network analyst or a rocket scientist to figure out you get that many injuries especially in a professional sports where you have a salary cap, you're not going to be doing too well. <laughs> this is true. But I, I saw something the other day. They had the the second most games lost from injury like in the last 10 years, last season or something like that. Some crazy number like that. It just, just it was, it was, it was definitely tough uh, to watch <laughs> at, at times. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that and that's something that you know coaches drives coaches crazy because they have no control. They can't control the refs, they can't control the weather, and they can't control injuries. And there are some years where all three of those seem like they come and get you. Fortnite ers fired their conditioning coach two years ago, brought in a new one, and it only got worse. So maybe <laughs> it's not the coach's fault. Maybe just unlucky. Well, it's got nothing. To, I don't think it has anything to do with coaches or systems right. or training or, you know, not, not a inordinate amount. It's just the luck of the draw. It's mm-hmm. just some, some years are like that. And some aren't, you know, you look at Kansas city two years ago or Tampa this year, or, you know, teams that are successful don't get the injuries. They just don't miss guys. And, you know, if you can be one of those teams, it's a it's a great thing to watch, and it's a great thing to be a part of. I know every good team I was ever on didn't have much in the way of injuries to worry about. Right, and 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 you the the thing about the timing too. I think the a lot of the conversation around this last Super Bowl was you know if you flipped the NFC teams or even flipped the the the, the predicament of the the injuries you were talking about that maybe the the different the Super Bowls go in different directions in different years so sometimes the luck of 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 what the breaks are certainly uh, seems like it it works out in somebody's favor and then sometimes in other people's <laughs> favor that's for sure yeah yeah you know there's there's football's a weird sport i mean it's not like any other sport, I think it's what makes it so special is there's so many things. There's a lot of moving parts anyway, because of the number of players mm-hmm. involved and coaches and officials and everything else. But, you know, there are so many variables in this game. And, you know, I, I think it's, it's always been that way. And probably over the last 10 years or so, it's, it's become even They've added even a few more variables to the system. <laughs> Just a few more, yeah. Uh, Randy, how does your current role, where you're outside of NFL work, but you're still with a company that also covers NFL, does that still give you any unique insight into the current state of the NFL? Do you still get inside information and uh, stuff that the random viewer doesn't see? Yeah, a little bit. You know, I just, that's kind of the nature of the beast. Um, you know, I, I get access to the one thing that is really, it it was invaluable when I was playing. And and since I've been doing this, it's equally as invaluable and that's coaches take and being able to, you know, study that and study teams and study players and study systems and all that. So, you know, it's, uh, it's pretty special. I, I, I've got no, I've got no delusions. You know, I've had, I've had, you know, two major jobs in my life and 
one involved playing a sport and the other one involves covering it. So I've been pretty <laughs> blessed. I assume you're a big film guy. Do you watch a lot of film? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, it's kind of part of the, the job description. Don't have much of a choice, I don't think. You've got to, <laughs> you know, it's hard, it's hard to be talking. You know, it's hard enough to talk during three and a half hours of a football game anyway. But, you know, if you don't watch it and you don't know it, it's, it's, it can, you can blow your cover pretty fast. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we've seen a surprising amount of that in the NFL in recent years. Yeah, so I just, you, have to, you have to watch it. Yeah, and imagine this time of year when we're getting into the, the draft, you have um, some, some insight because of, of what you're looking at. Are there any um, interesting college players, maybe off-the-radar types of guys that, that you've been sort of paying attention to recently that are going to be names to look out for in the, the upcoming draft? Be it, I mean, obviously specifically thinking about 49ers potential types of players, but just kind of names to watch for in general that you can think of that might not be sort of the, the top tier kind of guy. Well, unlike it seems like the vast majority of 49er fandom and the faithful, I don't necessarily think they need to spend all their <laughs> draft and, and franchise equity on a, on a new quarterback. I think they've got Ooh. one now. Now I wise. do not believe, you know, you're going to last much longer if you aren't available, you mm-hmm. know, cause you can talk about all the agility and abilities and everything else that there is. Number one job of anybody that plays professional sport is to be available. And if you're not always available, you're extremely replaceable. And, and I think that's the point in his career where Jimmy G is at, you know, if he's not available, he'll be gone. It's just that simple. Yeah. Um, but you know, you look at, what you'd have to give up for a franchise type quarterback, whoever um, it's, it's cost prohibitive, you know, even a team like, you know, the Niners who have done so well in the draft and when they've had good teams here, you know, since 2000, they've been born of the fact that they've had multiple, you know, number one picks playing on the team. Right. And, you know, you, you go back to the, to the early years when Harbaugh was there, when he took them to that Super Bowl in New Orleans, they had several years where they drafted in the top five pretty regularly and <laughs> had a lot of high, high picks. And, you know, that, that happens to a lot of teams. But, you know, they don't get a chance to sort of turn that into something real positive. Yeah, yeah. There's a reason the same teams seem to, dra- seem to draft in the top 10 year in and year out. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, the the draft is going to be, I think, unusual, only, only because there's a lot of kind of flashy offensive talent. Mm-hmm. And... By doing that, you're going to have a you're going to have quite a few guys that are really good football players get pushed down into spots where I'm sure they're not being told they may be you know, drafted. <laughs> there, every every player at this point is being told right now there are like 125 first round draft picks because <laughs> all the all the good. All the good players that are going in the first three rounds have all been told their first round draft picks. <laughs> um, 
but you know we all we all know that ain't going to happen. That would be mathematically difficult. Yes, <laughs> it would be very difficult. Yeah, you can only do thirty-two so many different ways, <laughs> and you know, I, you know, I, pretty much consensus. But we've got draft. We've got quarterbacks getting drafted all over the lot. Yeah, as far as you know, that first. 10, 12 picks, and then you go back into that, you know, last 10 picks or so of the first round, you've got a lot of guys that could, uh, that could go. Have the Niners taken specifically a quarterback, you know, mm-hmm. maybe a guy like Trey Lance or somebody like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, if you, if you draft a quarterback in that spot, you're drafting a guy that you think is going to be good that can kind of round into form. There are going to be a couple of teams who are going to be very happy and very lucky. And the players that they draft are going to be neither. And although it doesn't look like we're going to benefit from that, at least we have a whole bunch of draft picks throughout the draft and not too many holes to fill. Yeah, I, I, the, the, the guy that I'm having the hardest time not liking is Devonte Smith. And, and I think there's people that are going, well, you know, the last time a guy that weighed 170 pounds, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Yeah. Call, call Ohio state. Call, you know, call, <laughs> call the teams that played Alabama this year and ask them how easy to cover that 175 pound guy is. He's, right. he's going to be a star. He's going to be really, really good. And yeah. somewhere in that top, you know, probably top 12, if not higher, he's going to go in that, that area. But not before we see quite a few, quite a few guys go, you know, quite a few quarterbacks. Yeah. You know, I've mm-hmm. seen drafts, mock drafts, where they've got like fields going to Atlanta at four, um, Zach Wilson going to the Jets at two, you know, besides the obvious, which is Amos Lawrence, <laughs> which 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 allows a player like Penny Sewell to fall, and yeah. that's nothing but great news for somebody. Yeah, because the fact that that guy wouldn't be, you know, if you're just talking about flat football players, just regular old run of the mill guys you draft in those kind of spots, he's right there. I mean, he's somebody that you would love to see, mm-hmm. you know, available in that top five. And there's some, you know, there's people who think that he may even get to Cincinnati at five. And that's, that's robbery. Cause that, that's <laughs> one of those guys. Um, I think he's got a chance to be a little bit like Quentin Nelson. The guy who came out of Notre Dame a few years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he's been all been all pro since. He's got that kind of ability. Yeah, it can be very interesting. I was watching something. Uh, Mel Kiper, his mock draft had the four quarterbacks going one, two, three, four with trade ups, basically. Um, with it was Lawrence, Lawrence, then Zach Wilson at two to the Jets. A bunch of movement and get the, all four quarterbacks out of the way. But as you say, that that's great for the 49ers because of what they've been able to do so far in free agency. I, I think my favorite part of, of all the moves that they've made so far is that they've basically taken the whole like, oh, you have to grab 
a cornerback or you have to grab an offensive lineman or you have to grab whatever. I think it's a, a good place for them to be at this particular point in the proceedings. Yeah, it is, especially given now that everybody's getting healthy from all that, that litany of, of injuries they had this year. <laughs> um, you know, you, you've got positions that you're not necessarily that worried about. The, one of the positions that intrigues me the most about that team now, because they've got Kyle Shanahan, is running back. Because right. they can get by with three or four, which sounds funny. People go, wow, who who plays? Well, they do. <laughs> they play mm-hmm. three or four running backs, so that's fine, you know. And 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 they've got a line, especially now with Trent Williams back, and you know, they get their they get their new guy Mac at center. I think it's it's going to make them one of the better offensive lines in the league with McGlinchey over at the right side. It. It makes them rather formidable um, in from that standpoint. So, mm-hmm. you know, what position are they weak at? It's, yeah. You know, the, you need your quarterback to step up and stay healthy. Um, that's job one. And on the defensive side, you know, I guess you've, you've, you've leaked some talent in that front four mm-hmm. the last year or two, but not, not, terribly you know bosa comes back healthy as hell i think that's something that'll that'll bode really well for that team yeah just a little bit um so uh, on the on the 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 subject of of offensive lines you played you know a lot of years in the in the league at um both at center and at guard um so what would you say is the sort of difference or, or the the biggest differences between playing offensive line when you played and playing offensive line now sort of when you look at it what are the the major differences in those positions at this point between when you played Um I think what they're asked to do are fairly similar the rules have changed rather dramatically So you know things that you know you could do or did uh, back in the eighties, uh, in a lot of cases just aren't allowed anymore. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I, I think the, the obvious is size and size, you know, the linemen all across the board. I mean, Bubba Paris was huge. Um, when he played, you know, yep, I played with him by, I guess, last eight years. And you know, Bubba was six six, about three and a quarter. Six six, three and a quarter is it's not skinny. But <laughs> nowadays there's nothing exceptional about somebody that size. Right. I mean, there are there are some of these high school college kids. I saw a kid, a young man playing up in Canada last week, um, you know, six eleven, about four hundred pounds. That's just <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> And and I yeah, even, I mean they're, they're putting they, something in the water up there. They've got wow. they've gotten big, and they and the training has allowed them to maintain a lot of the speed and quickness. So that's <laughs> a that's a rather dramatic, <laughs> a rather dramatic difference. Yeah, a little bit. Wow, that's mind boggling to me that somebody could be that large and move effectively enough to play offensive line at any level. But that's that's pretty impressive. Chris, did you want to jump on the next one? Yeah, I have a follow up actually. Randy, when you came into the league, you were six three, 
260, somewhere in that general vicinity? Yeah, I retired. It was 290. Ah, okay. That makes a lot more sense. Um, I came into the league. I was 250, 255. That's quite kiddolesque. Of course, I had never touched a weight when I came into the league. Really? Yeah. I bet that changed real quickly. (laughs) No, I didn't lift until um, actually my... My second year in the pros. That's wild. Wow. It was when I started when I started lifting weights. Yeah, it wasn't you know, the the training regimens were much different. Yeah. Um, you know, my when I was in college at UCLA, my my off season training program revolved around playing basketball and volleyball at Poly Pavilion after school <laughs> every day. How times have changed. Now those guys got their own chow hall, right? Yeah, well, they got the yeah, they got the chow hall. They've got the supplements. They've got the nutrition edge. They've got the, the. I mean, they've all been lifting weights since they were like eighth grade. Um, in fact, my son played. Uh, he graduated from Wake in like '09. I mean, from in high nice. school in '09, and um, graduated from Wake in like twelve, thirteen, and I think he was. Gosh, by his sophomore year, I w- he was stronger than I was at any point. Hmm. His sophomore year in high school, and he was a quarterback. Wow. He was stronger <laughs> than me at any time during my college career up until you know that second year of the pros when I actually started lifting. That's the huge difference. That's that's also why you see some players playing playing longer and and getting up into their forties. And they're playing, especially quarterbacks, because right. you can't hit quarterbacks. <laughs> you can't touch them. There's, there's no excuse not to play to your Except 40, for 45 these That's days. Pro wrestling. Hit him with a chair. Because no one's, no one's going to hit you, so you might as well stick around. Yeah, if you're on the NFL-approved list, there is no contact <laughs> allowed. How do we get Jimmy on that list now that Breeze is retired? Who's in charge? Well, I think Trent Williams said something uh, in his in his introductory press conference. You know, because this this contract that he just signed, basically, if he sees it out, I think it he'll be thirty eight, thirty nine when he finishes it. And you know, apparently Kyle Shanahan, the first thing that he said to him once he signed it was, "Go get that sixth year." Um, <laughs> you know, so it's like no qualms whatsoever about the fact that he'll be you know pushing forty years old and trying to play left tackle in the NFL. Um, but you know. Like you said, different breed of, of of human being these guys these days for sure. And also because of the money, there are guys that play five six years and just call off the jam and go, "I'm good. I've made enough money. I'm I don't need to keep going." Right. And they and they retire and just leave the game. I was less than pleased when Willis decided to leave the game, but I can understand why he did it. You do have to look at for yourself and. Do what's best for your family. Yeah. But what about my family, Patrick? Because that was a sad day in the Wilson household. <laughs> yeah, that was that was more of a it was time to go thing physically. Yeah. I can appreciate that. You know, if he can't be the best in the game, then he doesn't want to play. And it's only because of injuries, something that he can't really control. And he left the game with his brain right, so he can start getting into his life after football. I definitely respect his decision. I just miss seeing him on the field. Yeah, exactly. So, Randy, I wanted to ask you something. So, I was I was doing a little uh, 
just kind of a uh, little, <laughs> little research this afternoon, um, checking out uh, pro football reference and, and some oh, other yeah. things. Uh, so there's an interesting, uh, <laughs> statistic. I don't know if you've seen this before. Um, but on pro football reference on your, on your pro football reference page, there's a section for, for defense and fumbles. And in 1977, this is a bizarre thing because you were an offensive lineman. You were accredited with a fumble for negative 37 yards. That was your second year in the league. Do you have any recollection of what that was? Oh, I, I an know exactly lineman, that's a very, that I figured he would. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's a very interesting. Yeah. That's an interesting statistic. It was a snap on a field goal. Oh, there and we go. And it was back when in 77, Candlestick was still artificial turf. Oh. So if that ball lands the right way when you snap it bad, it'll go a long way rolling. <laughs> that's what <laughs> happened amazing. on that play. Because there weren't really long snappers back then. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, yeah, you, you, you trust me, you don't forget those things. I was wondering because we were talking about it because I mentioned it to Chris and I was like, what could that have been? Like there was no like the shotgun didn't exist in 1977. So it wasn't like you chucked one over the quarterback's head. But I did extra points and field goals all 13 years. And I did uh, punts too. All all but my last two years. (laughs) It was nice of uh, them to give you a break at the end there. All right, cool. Now we've we've solved that mystery. We can close the book on that intense investigation. <laughs> I guess that most 49er fans think of you as a guard, but did switch to center. And in college, you were, I guess, a center and then a guard, and then both a center and a guard. So out of those two positions on the offensive line, which one did you prefer playing? Um... I don't know. I, maybe guard. Uh, it, it, you know, because you play center, people have to take your word for it. You're out there because <laughs> you're usually lost in some jumble. At least as a guard, you, we got out and pulled, and they could actually see you were on the field. Um, and I played that the majority of my career. You know, I played like ten years at guard and three years at center. Yeah. So. But I made a middle of light commercial that said I was the center. So once I once I <laughs> once I made that commercial, I was kind of cursed to be a center. Yeah, guess we're gonna Google it for the bod. Well, there you go. Um, so you also you had the opportunity to 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 play with some some important uh, figures in in NFL history. We were looking you know, looking back at at some of the quarterbacks that you played with. Um, I, I'm sure you've talked about this ad nauseum, but. The relationship uh, between Joe Montana and Steve Young, you were obviously there for probably the early part of it um, and, and and all that was going on. Can you talk about from your perspective, like what was that like being around, obviously being around both of these two great Hall of Fame players and, and all that kind of stuff. But um, I'm sure you've talked about it forever and ever, but it would just be kind of cool to hear a little bit about that experience and being around those two when you were when you were able to do that. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, 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 as you would imagine, two incredibly competitive, proud um, leaders that didn't give an inch. And, you know, that Joe, was, Joe wasn't stupid. You know, Bill didn't draft Steve to let him sit on the sideline and watch. So, yeah, uh, it, was, uh, it was a pretty uncomfortable pretty uncomfortable situation. There haven't been very many like it. 
um, and that were handled correctly. Um, this one was semi handled correctly, but you know, there's, there's other ones as you go back through, through history. I mean, you know, there was Meredith and Morton at, at Dallas and go down the list of other places, but <laughs> there's a reason in modern football, you don't see that very often. And it's only because, you know, if the team doesn't handle it perfectly, it can be pretty disruptive. It wasn't, mm-hmm. but it sure had the potential to be. Looking back at it, the Niners really lucked out when they made the switch from Alex Smith to Kaepernick, just like the Chiefs were when they switched from Smith to Mahomes. That Smith was very gracious, and much more than I would be in that kind of situation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's... I would have thrown a little more of a fit, I think. That, that wasn't quite how that went. The Montana Young thing wasn't quite as gracious. Yeah, not quite. <laughs> You've won three Super Bowls, and I'll take a moment to thank you for that, because you brought me great joy as a child, and knows what I would have become otherwise. But of the three games, which one was your favorite? Is there one that really stands out in your head above the others? I figure they would be the first because it was the first, but I believe the third was the last game you ever played in the NFL. So it was one more meaningful than the others. Yeah. And the second one was the best team I ever played on. So, you know, it's so how, how do you pick? I, I also have three kids, <laughs> so it's equally as tough. <laughs> Who's your favorite kid? Yeah, sure. I ain't answering her in that one. Yeah, um, it's a trap. <laughs> Yeah. I assume with your kids, you have to pretend to love all three equally. Uh, yeah, it's, you know, the first was great. Going out the way I went out was fantastic. Playing on a, you know, the first team never won 18 games. That was really special. Um, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say there was one that was my favorite. I just would say that, you know, that second one in Super Bowl 19, that was the best team I played on. And 19 really stands out for me. It's actually one of the first memories I have as a child. In front of the TV, sitting on the corner of my parents' bed, I decided and then declared that the San Francisco 49ers were my football team. And the rest is history. Super Bowl 19. Uh, I won't tell you how old I was when that game took place. No, that's fine. That's fine. I think Chris wants to ask you about um, a certain offensive lineman on the current 49ers team. Um but has not yet. Oh, I just passed on it. Oh, go for it. I want you to do it because I'm very interested to see. If you want me to, sure. You've already mentioned this this player, and, and Chris has some, some thoughts. So, <laughs> Well, you know how I hate controversy. You'd mentioned first-round right tackle Michael Mugunchi mm-hmm. and how the 49ers offensive line looks to be with the recent additions and then hopefully staying healthy one of the better lines in the NFL this year. Yep. Despite being not so hot last year with all the injuries, particularly along the interior, and of course, coaching and play calling have an effect on that as well. Mm-hmm. Well, Robert and our listeners certainly know that I have a little bit of a beef with Mike McGlinchey. But Don't worry, it's a one-way beef. I'm sure he loves me, and I've never heard of him speaking an ill word about me. But my problem with McGlinchey is 
mostly related to his past protection failures, to put it kindly, as well as his overall lack of effort. So since we had the opportunity to talk to a professional, both on the analyst side and a former NFL lineman who spent his fair share of time in the trenches, what do you think of his post-daily drop-off? And do you think it can be easily rectified by coaching or an attitude change or a little more effort? Or is he just a lost cause? Well, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things to go into it, whether it's being hurt, um, being in kind of a funk, um, you know, he he was he had a, a hard time last year with speed guys. You know, the edge the edge rusher, and a lot of that is based on technique. Yeah, and when that gets sloppy, it's hard to make up for it with the athletic ability because it'll it'll get you behind every single time. So, you know, I, I would anticipate him making a, a pretty good comeback. I was a big fan of the way he played. He and Nelson played on that left side for Notre Dame in college, and I liked the and I liked the way that early on he was playing with San Francisco. Oh yeah, but uh, you know, it, it, that tackle, offensive tackle, is kind of like being a corner. Um, you're out there for the world to see, and when you're good at it and things are going good. You know everything's right with the world, but when you're bad, things are going bad. You, you know you're in front of God and everybody else. You're screwing up. So <laughs> it's uh, it's it, it's not the easiest thing to take, but I, I believe personally he's going to be just fine. And uh, if he's not, hey, NFL is the kind of uh, thing like Jerry Glanville. Jerry Glanville said in that NFL films quote you know nfl stands for not for long so if you keep having those problems <laughs> you won't be around for long yeah that's this is very true and it is a um you know his kind of last opportunity to to prove it to prove to the team that he's going to be a long-term option because after that fifth year option and then they have to make the decision about whether or not they're going to extend him after that and i mean i don't think the fifth year option is a is a joke of a number for an offensive tackle, I think it's like, what, $11 million or something like that for right. his, his fifth season. So all things being equal, the salary cap will take a nice jump next year and, and, and they should be in pretty decent shape. But if he's not the long-term answer in the, in the same way, like they did with Solomon Thomas, um, you know, who they drafted the year before and they just decided, you know, he's not going to be a long-term answer here at this position. You know, if they decide next year that he's not going to be the long-term answer, then you figure it out and, and move on kind of thing. So yeah. it's, a, it's a big season for him, for sure, especially with the talent that they have along that line now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just just thriving in that meeting room is going to be a hard enough thing with, with guys like Mac and, and Williams around, you know. So just just living up to the standard of the people around you at times can be as motivating as anything else. Yeah. And I'm hoping that, that's just what it takes for him to thrive because in Notre Dame, he has Nelson, basically a all-pro NFL guard next to him that he has to live up to. And then he comes to the Niners, and he and Staley quickly become best friends. And living up to Staley is maybe not a Nelson college level, but you know, living up to Staley, he's a NFL pro bowler at left tackle. 
is a difficult ask. And I think yeah. still is the kind of guy who would call him out privately. If you were still on the team and his teammate McGlinchey was playing as bad as he was last year. But as soon as Staley retires and McGlinchey is the big guy on campus with the C on his chest for some unknown reason, suddenly he shows up on the first day of practice, an easy 15 to 20 pounds lighter than his listed weight. And this is a guy who should have been putting on 20 pounds, not losing 20 pounds. And he's pretending he lost five pounds on purpose. Meanwhile, his own teammates are mocking him and coming up with nicknames because of how skinny he's gotten. Then, of course, he goes on to have a blooper reel of a season. And he suddenly becomes the least effort guy in the whole field. And at some point, it really needs to come down to the coaches. They need to step it up. Losing weight doesn't make you forget how to block. There are drives, short drives, usually series, where he looked like he was a player, maybe a tight end or something like that, who was playing tackle in an emergency role, like he had never played there before in his life. And he was just getting tossed around by guys who are nowhere near high-end edge rushers. The thing that drives me the most crazy is just the lack of effort. He's just always standing there or lying there on the ground while the ball is still in play. Why is the coaching staff okay with this? When you're dealing with a low-effort guy who's just ruining drives, it's the coach's job to rectify that situation on both fronts. But there's a serious communication respect problem here. When do you ever hear of an NFL player deciding to change his body for the worse over the offseason without first running a bias position coach at the very bare minimum? And then a surprise coaching staff names him a team captain. And then he plays horrible all season. And then Lynch is telling him he's got to gain weight in the offseason, probably in the hopes that he would revert back to his rookie form. And of course, he rewards him with a nearly $11 million fifth-year option. I don't think he'll have any competition. He'll easily be the most overpaid right tackle in the NFL. And there's no reason for him to change, and the coaches aren't going to hold him accountable. So we're left to hope that another player on the offensive line is going to hold the captain of the offensive line accountable for his poor play and lack of effort. I really want him to be a better player. I want him to improve. I want him to be an asset to the team. And the improving part isn't difficult at all. But being a net positive, sort of forcing him to do it himself. And he's never done that before. So while it's possible that the coaches can start coaching, or McGlinchey can start trying and acting more professional, or somebody on the team who's respected, has come to Jesus with him, and he significantly progresses to rookie-level McGlinchey, which would be a godsend. That's a whole lot of wishing and hoping and not a whole lot of planning. I mean, in the end, it might be up to the fans to do it, because the only time that he played well last year is when the faithful kept calling it like it was, and it upset McGlinchey so much that he started trying, and he wasn't half bad because he's fully capable of being an above-average right tackle if he wants to be. 
But the following week, he's turned back into a turnstile because he didn't have fans yelling at him. And the coaches could inspire him too, if they wanted to. But instead, they do the exact opposite. They wildly overpay him, and they fail to add NFL-caliber competition. Even I wouldn't pull him for a practice squad-caliber swing tackle just in school. Not that it even matters now, because four Niners are committed to him financially. So I really hope that the right person, even himself, gets McGlinchey's career back on track. And the good news is he's likely to improve. If I had to bet, I'd say he will play a lot better this year than he did last year. Simply putting on the necessary weight to look like a right tackle will be enough for him to avoid all those one-arm ragdoll tosses to the ground. But if he plans to be a starting offensive lineman the majority of his career, he doesn't have a lot of time to waste. He's got to start improving right now. Otherwise, it won't take long for the NFL to determine that he's a backup quality lineman. Yep. Yep. And they will. And, and they will. And they will if there's a, a viable alternative. That's always got a lot to do with it, too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's and the fans, same conversation fans about always, the fans always call for different players or somebody else. Well, you got any suggestions on who? I've got a long, long <laughs> exactly. list. You know, where you're yeah. walking down, I mean, the, walking down the, the the aisle at the uh, supermarket, and have you seen any six six, three hundred and thirty pound guys that can move pretty good? That might be better alternatives. <laughs> so. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the that's the thing. Was we, you know, McGlinchey has his struggles, but it, uh, we've all seen also at times what the backup tackle options have been for the team the last couple of years, which has been school's horrible, significantly worse. Um, That's so an office problem, you know, it could be worse. Uh, I'll just, I'll just say that. I mean, and it's kind of similar to the, the, the conversation you were alluding to earlier about Garoppolo as well. Like people are, are, are ready to, to jump ship with him, but the, the same thing can be said there. Like, unless there is a, a, a fast way to get to, an, an upgrade immediately. You got him to work with what you got. And, and obviously he's shown that he's capable of, of leading this team to, to the, the precipice of, of winning the whole thing. Um, a few, a few things break differently and he's a, you know, a Super Bowl champion as a starting quarterback. And we probably aren't having this conversation all the time about him. So, uh, you know, this, the next man up thing only works. So only goes so far. I would, I guess I would say. I understand your point, but I think we're dealing with apples and oranges here. But on one hand, we're talking about Garoppolo, who, when healthy, is a top-down quarterback. Improving upon that is very difficult and very costly, because there are not a lot of people in the world who are better. Just look at how much a team is willing to spend for the opportunity to draft a quarterback who I'd say will be worse but could potentially eventually become a superstar. Compare that to also tackle, where we're not even looking for somebody who's exceptionally good. We're just looking for someone who could play and somebody who could serve as a respectable swing tackle and perhaps a guy who could step in from McGlinchey when he's having a McGlinchey day. 
by comparison, those types of players grow on trees. You had years to address this problem. It's a simple problem to address, either in free agency or via the draft. They continue to not take this issue seriously, and it almost bit them real hard last year. What were their plans if they didn't pick up Trent Williams at the last second? I'm singing Hail to the Washington football team over here. <laughs> well, cool. Um, Chris, did you have any other questions? Any other thoughts? Yeah, I have one other question of import. Okay. <laughs> Randy, while it's way, way too early, do you see the foreigners making some noise? In the 2021 season, what are your way too early predictions for the team for the upcoming year? I think, yeah, well, it's obviously way early, but you know, if they don't have those injuries, and you know, you just look at their 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 raw talent, they should be able to be a you know Final Four kind of a team, mm-hmm. and. You know, once you once you qualify for that, I mean, the real idea is just to be a playoff team. If you can be one of those teams, then you're in the tournament. Now you can now you can do some business. And you look at them right now. There's no reason in God's green earth you don't think they're a playoff team. And I think they're at least a an NFC Championship game kind of team, if not a Super Bowl team. Well, as long as we catch the Packers in the championship game, then it's pretty much a guarantee that we'll be a Super Bowl team. (laughs) Uh, Poor Packers. Um, Yeah, hope that doesn't come back to bite me. Yeah, let's let's watch out. Um, Because Aaron Rodgers, longtime listener to the Niner Noise podcast for sure. We we don't need to give him any more reason to... We don't need to give them any more reason to be angry. Um, well, cool. Randy, we, we certainly appreciate you joining us tonight. And it's, it's been really awesome talking with you about uh, football and 49ers and everything. And, and we appreciate your time uh, so very much. And it's been a, a pleasure and an honor, sir. And we thank you so much for that. So, uh, you know, anytime you want to come chat with us, we are, we are more than happy to make the time for you. So thanks very much. My pleasure. Thanks a lot, Randy. Talk to you soon, man. Thank you. All right. That was really nice talking with Randy. It was really uh, cool getting his insight on, on a lot of different things. Hey, that's Randall to you. I enjoyed his knowledge about the current state of the pro game, the current state of the college game, and seems to have a lot of knowledge about what's going on in football at large. And I think that that was really cool to get his his thoughts about a lot of different things. Ups to him for recognizing that Grappa doesn't suck. <laughs> and then, of course, looking back, the history and all that kind of stuff, too, is also also really nice. Yeah, who knew that if I was just born 20 years earlier and never worked out, then <laughs> I could play in the NFL. Yeah, who knew? That's what I'm waiting for, too. I'm waiting for my second year in the NFL to start working out as well. It's my plan. Yeah, you might not share the same genes, Randy. <laughs> I think I might be past my prime since I'm already older than Trent Williams, so I think there's a, probably a pretty good chance that I'm not going to make it there. For the record, I think you'd make a great right tackle. Well, that's cool. Well, again, thanks to uh, to, to Randy for, for joining us. Um, any other former 49ers who would like to to join us on the podcast, you know, feel free to reach out. We are more than happy to <laughs> to work with you, you know, from any era, you know, the 70s, the 80s, 90s. More recently, Patrick Willis, if you're not doing anything and want to join us on the podcast. Or replace me on the podcast. Yeah, you, I, you know, that might even happen. Like if Patrick Willis, you know, called up and said, hey, I want to be your co-host. Wait, I'd be why like, am I the person who would okay, have to leave? Bye, Chris. Thanks for joining us. You know me. I would step down. 
Gracious, I would appreciate that. Just like Alex. We'd, we'd have you on as a, as a guest from time to time. Within five minutes, you would forget that I even existed. You know, I love how you already had this all planned out. I'd be a worthless guest anyway because I'd spend the whole time just telling Willis how great he is. You'd enjoy listening to it, that's for sure. Um, cool. All right. Well, folks, thanks for listening to this episode of the Niner Noise Podcast, part of the Fansided Podcast Network. As always, check out NinerNoise.com for all your latest 49ers news and analysis. And as always, be sure to rate and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. And of course, share it with all your fellow 49er fan friends. So until next time, let's sound the horn, 49ers. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Save big money on your outdoor project now at Menards. We have everything you need to keep your outdoor power equipment running smooth so you can keep that lawn in tip-top shape or enjoy some time on your boat. Right now, all FVP, lawn and garden, and marine batteries are on sale through May 5th. Check out our entire selection of FVP batteries today and view our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more great deals. Save big money.